Now, I want to begin by saying it's not often that I preach someone else's sermon. In fact, I never do that, but today I am. And I want to give credit where credit's due. About uh, 42 years ago, in 1975, a missionary with the Navigators wrote an exceptional little helpful booklet, and his name was Walt Henriksen. And his booklet was called Many Aspire, Few Attain. And so what today's message is, really that little booklet was some adaptations, and so I want to give my brother that credit. The gist of this booklet is that in the Christian life, which includes Christian work and service, is the need to face the fact that far more believers start as Christian workers well than finish as Christian workers well. Because there are problems without the Christian worker and problems within the Christian worker that work against the Christian worker having a long and God-honoring ministry of work for the Savior. You see, many times Christian workers get tired, tired of the fight it is with Satan, tired of the fight it is with their flesh, Because it's a warfare. Satan can't defeat Christ or his church. He's a defeated foe, but he hates it when believers who know and love Christ work for him. He hates it. And so he tries to discourage us. He tries to disenfranchise us. He tries to um, disqualify us from serving the Savior. It's a battle because it's just a hop, skip, and a jump from productivity and faithfulness as a Christian worker to laziness, resignation, and unfruitfulness as a Christian worker. Now, I realize that some of you may be thinking at this point, I'm not a Christian worker, and it's no big deal. I'm not supposed to be a Christian worker. There are other people around here who are Christian workers, and especially the professionals like you, Pastor Rob, you're the Christian worker, so... I'm not a Christian worker, and I'm not worried at all about it. The only problem with that is that's not the Lord's viewpoint at all. In 1 Peter 4, verse 10, it says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God wills there be no unemployment in Christian work. God wills that each and every one of us who know Christ as Lord and Savior would know the gifts that he's given us, the spiritual gifts he's endowed us with at the points of our conversion, that we would know what those gifts are, that we would develop those gifts, that we would use those gifts for the building up of the body and the glory of God. No Christian is unneeded. There is work for every Christian to do in this assembly and any other you would care to point to. No exceptions. So, truth is that when only a select number of Christian workers who are available in a local church actually do the work, then the Christian workers who actually are doing the work can get tired, frustrated, discouraged, You may have heard this before. It's a little story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done at church, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. 
Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. Many believers like us aspire to spiritual fruitfulness, but very few of us attain to it because, let's face it, Satan is very willing to hold the ladder up for any of us who want to get out of Christian service and put ourselves on the shelf. That's a chore Satan would gladly do. Hold the ladder up to the wall for you so you could put yourself on the shelf and stop working for God. And so if you don't want to become a Christian who has aspired but not attained, then you're going to have to make some resolutions in your heart and mind. Because after all, this is war. This is not a walk on the beach. And after all, the church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. And Ephesians 6.12 gives us truth when it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Someone says, If you don't know that you're in war, then you don't know what prayer is for. Do you have some Christian work you're doing? A lot of you stood up, and I thank God for that sincerely. I'm so grateful that so many of you stood up this morning and you said, I have a a job from the Lord, a Christian work that I'm doing, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. But for you to and me to persist in that work, to be effective in that work, to be committed in that work, there are some things that we're going to have to take by the horns this morning and come to grips with, 14 of them. Because of time, I will hasten on all 14 points. How to wind up on the playing field and not in the bleachers as a Christian worker. Put another way, how to stay off the shelf as a Christian worker and stay in the work. Number one, have a heart for God. One thing, the psalmist says, one thing I have asked from the Lord, and that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's Psalm 27, verse 4. Or Deuteronomy 6, 5. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Deuteronomy 6, 5. Will you notice that the psalmist doesn't say, in these 40 things I dabble. He says, this one thing I've asked from the Lord, that he would have a heart for God. And so do you this morning find yourself consumed with a love for God, captivated by the joy of thinking that you could serve the God of the universe, the God of redemption. A heart for God will help keep you and me from being a casualty as a Christian worker. The second thing is hate sin. Hate sin, Romans 12, 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Watch it. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. You know, sin should gross you out. Sin should make your skin crawl. Sin should make you gag. Sin should put a pit in your stomach. 
We should not have any pet sins that we tolerate and we play around with and we flirt with and we let in our lives and keep in our lives. We shouldn't have pet sins. You know, I've told you before, but I abhor snakes. I abhor snakes. And I can guarantee you something. There is never a snake in my bed. But frankly, I don't abhor sand. I go to the beach, shower off, and sometimes little grains of sand are on my feet. I don't abhor sand. Now, there's no sand on Beth's side of the bed, but sometimes there's sand on my side of the bed. Do you know why? Because I don't abhor sand. You know why there's no snakes on my side of the bed? Because I do abhor snakes. We must abhor sin. John Owen was the one who said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Hating sin, abhorring sin, will keep us in the race of Christian work. Number three, hunger for the word. 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The Christian worker who remains in work and has a good record till the end hungers for the word of God. Throughout the Bible, of course, the importance of hiding God's word in our hearts is emphasized. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, Colossians 3.16. Thy words were found and I ate them, Jeremiah 15.16. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee, Psalm 119, verse 11. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. And so we know, don't we, from our walk with God, from our time spent in his word as believers, we know that the word diagnoses and it cleanses and it heals and the word renews and the word nourishes and the word guides and the word wards off sinning. And the word gives us the very life and the very character of our Savior. The word of God gives you and me power and the ability to do the will of God. And of course, there is a big difference between having done my Bible study and having studied the Bible. One can be done in minutes. The other takes hours and days in reality of a lifetime. Hungering for the word looks like reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it, applying it, and most importantly, living it. You know, parenting and hungering for the word of God are similar. Just like it's wrong to say that my children don't need the quantity of my time, they need the quality of my time, that is not true. As similar that that is not true, it's equally not true that Bible study shouldn't be measured by quantity, it should be measured by quality. That's not true either. If you want to hunger for the word of God, if you do hunger for the word of God, you spend considerable time and effort in the book. Persons who hunger for the word of God are glad they spend a lot of time in it. Number four, the Christian worker who lasts must trust God 
must trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, you know the verse probably. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and do not lean on thine own understanding. If you are really going to walk with God, then you're going to have to learn to trust him. And learning the habit of trusting God in the little things is a good preparation for learning to trust him in the big things. Our faith is going to be tested all the time. It's a given. The bottom will fall out. The roof is going to cave in. Our plans are going to go haywire. Count on it. There are many things that you and I can do without faith. Without faith, we can get married. Without faith, we can have a home. Without faith, we can become a millionaire. Without faith, we can live a normal and relatively happy life. But there's one thing you cannot do without faith. Please, God. The one thing that we cannot do without faith is to please God. For we know from Scripture that without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so if you're going to please God, you're going to have to walk by faith in him and be ready to trust him when it gets rough. Number five, burn bridges and ships. In Luke 9, 62, our Lord said, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, we will never attain if we refuse to burn our boats. When Spanish conquistador Hernando Cortez took his men to Mexico, his objective was to march on Mexico City and conquer Montezuma. When he landed in Veracruz, he put all of his men on the beach and sent demolition teams out to destroy all their ships. As the men stood on the shore watching the ships burn and then sink, they realized there was no turning back. The rest of their lives, they would be in Mexico. Have you burned your ships? Have you taken whatever avenues of retreat from serving Christ and burned them? Is not working for the Lord Jesus until you go to heaven off the table for you as a choice? The ship that I had to burn, personally, were two funeral home businesses my family owned in Toronto. And when my father approached me and I knew I was called to the ministry, I said, Dad, do, do with them as you see fit. And he sold the one, and one ship was burned. And he sold the next funeral home, and that ship was burned. And so I didn't hedge my bets. I didn't say, well, I'll have these family businesses to fall back on if I don't like being a pastor. It doesn't quite work out. I had to burn my bridges. I had to burn my ships. I had to take away from myself a way out when it came to answering God's call to be a pastor teacher. 
When Christian workers fail to burn their bridges and to burn their ships, decisions can be made that bring about sad and regrettable outcomes. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also will reap. Number six, beware of the road of no return. Deuteronomy 3.26, Moses is speaking near the end of his life. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, speak to me no more of this matter. End of quote. In this passage, Moses, again, is making some closing remarks near the end of his physical life. He was an interesting character, was Moses. Forty years he lived in the palace. Forty years he didn't live in the palace. Forty years he wandered in the wilderness, attending a lot of funerals of rebellious persons in Israel. He buried his whole generation in the desert. He had an interesting life. And in reviewing that interesting life, Moses said again, Deuteronomy 3.26, but the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, speak to me no more of this matter. You see, Moses had previously disqualified himself from his lifelong ambition of entering the promised land. Moses, one serious mistake of striking the rock a second time instead of speaking to the rock, God's caused God to stop listening to Moses' plea. Moses reached the point of no return. And we can do the same. There are certain decisions which we can make which have consequences that go far, far beyond the decision. We know it's true that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. We know that's true, but you do realize that cleansed and forgiven sin can still carry consequences. We can be forgiven and yet have consequences. We can choose to sin, but we cannot choose the consequences of our sins. Moses reached the point of no return, so he was buried outside of the promised land. And Christian workers can also reach that point of no return and, just, and thus shelve ourselves out of Christian work. Number seven, avoid an independent spirit. You know, some Christian workers are mavericks. They have an independent spirit, and they are loners. They want to serve God, but only in their own way. And they don't respect authority, if the truth be known. But the Christian worker who lasts is the Christian worker who submits to authority, works within a team, and is in a relationship with other believers who are over him or her, or a relationship with other believers who are serving the Lord around him or her. Jesus' words in Luke 16, 12, And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? On this thing of an independent spirit, God doesn't like it. There's an interesting scene in Numbers chapter 16. Basically, Dathan, Korah, and Abiram argued with Moses, and Moses had taken too much upon himself, and that God spoke to those three guys just as much as he spoke to Moses. So they were spreading in the camp. You really don't have to follow Moses' leadership anymore because we have the inside track, us three. Basically, Moses' response to those guys was they should take up that idea with God, and they did. 
And then God said to paraphrase, Moses, step aside and let me show you what I think of that idea. And Moses stepped aside, and God opened up the earth, and Dathan, Korah, and Abiram, and all that belonged to them fell into the canyon that God had opened up. And then God closed the canyon's earth back up, and he sent fire and consumed 250 men who were in on the three's rebellion. And after that, God, as it were, asked the Israelites, any questions? God didn't want persons who had an independent and a leadership-shunning spirit, and God still doesn't want Christian workers who can't be led by human believers who God has put in the place to lead them. An independent spirit will make a Christian worker a Christian castaway worker. Don't have that kind of a spirit. Number eight, be wholehearted. Be wholehearted. 2 Kings 14.3 gives what seems to be a good report about King Amaziah. It says, and he did right in the sight of the Lord. That sounds good, doesn't it? And he did right in the sight of the Lord. But King Amaziah lacked one thing. His heart wasn't right. He did what was right, but with a wrong heart. And with the wrong heart, God couldn't use King Amaziah. And within a short period of time, Amaziah was dead. Some Christian workers give the impression that God and the church are so lucky just to have their service, that they are doing God and the church a big favor by working in a ministry. Being a faithful Christian worker is not doing anyone a favor. It's worship. It's reasonable. It's a privilege. It's a joy. You know, it's easy, let's be real, it's easy to be wholehearted in the things that we like doing. But it's hard to be wholehearted in things that we don't like doing. Can you be wholehearted in those things? If you can, you're on the way to staying in ministry and finishing well. Number nine, be faithful in little things. Be faithful in little things. Luke 16, 10. These are Jesus' words. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. End of quote. Unfaithfulness in little things will eventually shelve you when it comes to being a Christian worker. So you say, what would being unfaithful in little things look like? Habitually being late, not preparing, habitually not making the phone call that you were told to make, not being reliable, habitually pushing others who work with you to mop up after you when you drop the ball, habitually paying little attention to detail, having a good enough is good enough attitude, habitually not showing up without communicating your problem with showing up to anybody who did show up. Doing a partial job. Not being dependable enough to have things delegated to you. 
On the other hand, what is, what is the profile of the faithful Christian worker? The one, when you tell that worker something and they hear you, you know that task is as good as done. But not just that the task is as good as done. When you tell that faithful Christian worker the task, it is done with excellence. That's what God deserves. That kind of a faithful Christian worker. And that kind of faithful Christian worker will stand the test of time. And something else, and this is the grace of God. God didn't have to do this. God did not have to do this. But it's so wonderful to see in Scripture that when a Christian worker is faithful in the little things, he or she will be promoted to increased responsibilities by peers, but ultimately promoted to more responsibilities by the Lord. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. We're seeing how not to fall out as a Christian worker. We're seeing not how to get on the shelf. And number 10 is avoid the root of bitterness. Avoid the root of bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Do you know, church family, when bitterness, envy, jealousy, a competitive spirit, and resentment spring up in any Christian worker's heart, then that Christian's heart is poison. That's bad enough. But when a Christian's heart gets poisoned, the other Christian workers around the poisoned-hearted Christian can also get poisoned hearts. You say, but you don't know what she did to me. You don't know what he said about my family. Let me tell you this. If God is God, then nobody can hurt you. God is the one who allowed the things in your life that you're bitter about. For whatever reasons, he allowed it. So if you want to be mad at anybody, be mad at God. Really, Hendrickson says there's no such thing as having a problem with another person. It doesn't exist. If you have a problem with another person, it's because you have a faulty view of God. And bitterness will destroy you and me if we let it. Number 11, accept rebuke. Accept rebuke. Hebrews 12, verse 6, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. Some people never make it to a finish line as a Christian worker because they can't take rebuke. And yet rebuke from God himself or rebuke from God through another person is a necessary part of being the best Christian worker than you can be. Proverbs 15, 32, he who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Proverbs 9, verse 8, do not reprove a scoffer lest he hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. It is the wise Christian worker that knows that being rebuked is for his or her good. 
Accept rebuke as a gesture of love. A wise Christian named Warren Myers prayed that God would send somebody into his life to rebuke him once a week. Number 12, stay constant. Jeremiah 6, 16 to 19, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, and when you see the interchange with God's people and him, you'll understand why he wept. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I said, Watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. You know, some people, some believers, just want to be different. They don't want to be pushed by anybody into any mold. And so they swing between one place and one thing to another. And these Christian workers like change just for the sake of change. Now, we concede that God has marvelously made each one of us utterly unique, yet, at the same time, God has also set standards and given Christian instructions on how to be the kind of Christian worker who lasts in Christ's service. Number 13, walk by faith. Walk by faith. In the beginning, as a new Christian, Living by faith has a wonderful excitement. But after a while, that excitement tends to wear off. The novelty begins to wear off. And after a while, if we don't watch it, then security comes to be preferred over faith. Proverbs 20, verse 7 puts it this way, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Chariots and horses are no substitute for God. Trusting in them weakens faith, even can kill faith, proper faith in God. Chariots and horses have some very interesting identities nowadays. I'll let you fill in those blanks. Persons or things for which we substitute over trusting God. I'm okay because I have this in place. I'm okay because I'm with her. Chariots and horses are no substitute for God. And those Christian workers who trust in chariots and horses instead of in God can see their Faith in him weaken and even be killed. And when a Christian worker stops working by faith, it seems better to him or her to have someone or some things to count on instead of God. When this happens, it always happens slowly, insepidly, almost imperceptibly. But when this happens, Things come to be more important to us than the Lord or people. And what we have becomes more important than what God could provide. 
and security, our own man-made plan of security trumps it all. One Christian worker stopped having guests in her home because they would mess her house up. If things are more important to you than persons, then you are already up on the shelf and not doing Christ's work anymore. God is desperately interested in persons. God the Son didn't die for sofas and rugs and lamps. Christ died for persons. Number 14, keep up the heart for the battle. We started by saying that being a Christian worker, given the problems we have with our own flesh and Satan's attacks from the outside of us, is a war. It's a battle. We have to fight it until we see Jesus through rapture or through physical death. And so the last point here is, if you want to be a Christian worker who is fruitful, who stands the test of time, who doesn't shelf himself, who doesn't get disqualified, then keep up the heart for the battle. The Apostle Paul fully realized in his public ministry that he was fighting a battle, a battle when he was evangelizing, a battle when he was planning churches, a battle when he was writing 60% of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He knew he was in a battle and realizing that he constantly had to fight to finish God's course allowed him to be in Christ's service, working for Jesus Christ right up to the time he was beheaded. He wrote 2 Timothy probably two weeks before he was beheaded. And this is what he said, cognizant of the battle that he had been fighting all his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Your battle is my battle. It's our battle. Working for Jesus Christ is hated by Satan, is morphed into something other than noble by our flesh. And the default position is to just get tired and retire, to just look out for number one. My kids used to be that age in the children's program at church, but they're not that age anymore, so I'm not going to help with those kids. Just help with my own kids. We need, with the Lord's help this morning, to understand that the war is whether we will be useful or useless, whether we will be involved or idle whether we will be engaged or retire ourselves, whether we will be hearing that his good, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or we're just content to be a castaway. Our battle this morning is to not lust after the shelf, not to long to be out of Christ's service, 
but to be scared not to be in Christ's service. And in this battle, we need the Holy Spirit to change our minds and to change our outlooks so that we come to church not with a taking mentality. How was the service today? The preacher was good. He went 40 minutes, not 50. How was the church today? Oh, I like the music. But to come to assemble together with those of like precious faith to give. And not just money, but ourselves. Not to dash off the campus to be the first person out of here. There's, there's some prize for that. Standing around, talking with each other, lovingly listening, not being so concerned about what you'll say as to what you need to hear. If we're going to stay in this battle, we're going to have to have a whole different expectation and, and focus from taking. The world does that. The world is good at taking. The church of Jesus Christ should be good at giving ourselves, our time, our talent of our spiritual gifts, of our love. It's time for us to do some soul searching. Could it be that it was like the Penn State football game I watched yesterday afternoon? 105,000 people in the stands. 105,000 people in the stands. And a two dozen or so fellas on the field playing offense or defense. And the fellas on the field desperately needed rest. And all the 105,000 getting rest desperately needed exercise. We need to do some soul searching. We have enough members of this church that we should not lack any workers for the ministries we believe God's called us to have. But we have lots of lack right now. If you take this half sheet that's in your bulletins, would you look that up and would you please hold it up when I see everybody's got it up, I'll talk some more. Looks like this. We need your help. There are 17 ministries listed there, and all of them really need help right now. Could it be that the Holy Spirit's been tapping you on the heart and saying, Boy, I'm on the shelf? that you could prayerfully look down that list of 17 and do one of three things which each, with each item God points out to you. You could sign up right now to volunteer. We'd love that. That's the first option. The second option is, I don't know if I have enough information to know what I'm going to volunteer for. Could you give me further information on the numbers I have listed? We'd be glad to do that. And then the third option is, would you consider signing up to try one months worth of ministry in some of these areas? That would be great. Now, we need workers for all these areas. We need women and men. But can I tell you something, brothers? We need you to step up. 
we need the, the brothers of this assembly to step up and to serve. We have a new children's program on Tuesday nights. I'm very excited about it. We had five men show up out of 40 to help. We need men. We lament that Bahamians don't have dads. A lot of them and their families to model malehood. Now's your chance. I am praying and have been praying and I will be praying that you will turn these in and that we will have a great supply of God, of Christian workers. It's the need. (laughs) It's the need. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message on Christian work and workers. And Lord, we realize that we're in a battle, we're in a fight. Help us to win that battle with your strength and to respond appropriately in ways that you would be pleased with. May a bunch of Christian workers emerge from this service. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Oh,